everybody and welcome back to another edition of Radio Free Acton. This is the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. My name is Mark Vandermoss. It's my pleasure to be your host here on the podcast and a busy week this week at the Acton Institute. As we record, it is the week of Acton University. Uh, if you don't know what Acton University is, check it out at university.acton.org. We are bringing in a uh, I think over a thousand attendees this year, if not over a thousand, very, very close to a thousand participants from around the world uh, to join us for a conference here in Grand Rapids, Michigan on building the foundations of a free and virtuous society that allows for and encourages human flourishing. Uh, great event every year. Uh, we've got some great plenary speakers this year. Uh, over 120 courses will be taught over the course of three days. And uh, we are uh, busy, busy, busy getting ready for that conference to start. So again, check it out. University.acton.org is the website. And uh, we're going to be very busy over the course of this week uh, putting that conference on. So in the meantime, I have had time, uh, a little bit of time, to sit down and talk with Todd Heisinger. Todd is our Director of International Outreach here at the Acton Institute uh, and uh, longtime diplomat uh, for the U.S. State Department, served in Europe and Brussels for quite, quite a few years. So he's our resident expert on uh, the European Union. And of course, uh, we're looking at a very important vote coming up in the United Kingdom uh, that will potentially see Britain uh, exit the European Union. Called the, They're calling it the Brexit vote. It's a big referendum. And, and I brought Todd downstairs to the Acton Studios to talk a little bit about that vote and what the uh, implications are for the EU. And without further ado, let's head over to that interview. We are pleased to be joined once again on Radio Free Acton by Todd Heisinger, Acton Institute's Director of International Outreach and a former uh, diplomat for the U.S. State Department, spent a lot of time working in uh, Brussels uh, and has a lot of familiarity with the ins and outs of the European Union and, in fact, uh, is familiar enough with the European Union to have written a really good book about it uh, called The New Totalitarian Temptation, uh, Global Governance and the Crisis of Democracy in Europe, uh, which has uh, been very, very positively reviewed. Todd Heisinger, welcome once again to Radio Free Acton. Thank you very much, Mark. And uh, you were just uh, in Europe, uh, spent some time in the Low Countries and in Germany. And, of course, we're talking today about the Brexit vote, the referendum in the U.K., uh, that potentially will see the U.K. leave the European Union. What's the word on the street right now uh, in Brussels and elsewhere? Well, as you can imagine, everything is a buzz about the Brexit vote, which is happening on June 23, less than two weeks away, um, especially in Germany. I noticed that uh, the papers are full of it, the TV and TV people are talking about it, people are, you overhear people talking about it in restaurants and so forth. Um, in fact, Der Spiegel, which is the top weekly news magazine in Germany, um, was planning a cover um, to come out today um, in English, um, in which they say, please don't go. <laughs> Wow, that's uh, that's impressive. So obviously, the uh, the Germans quite concerned about the possibility of of Britain leaving the UK then, or, or leaving the EU, I should say. Britain is not going to leave the UK, U the EU. <laughs> Very much so. Um, you know, the polls are still neck and neck. Nobody really knows what's what the results are going to be. So it's a very very uh, tense situation. 
Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the referendum itself. Um, Britain, obviously, over the past couple of years, and, and I think this is in relation to uh, the financial crisis that began in 2008, the, the sort of convulsions that the Europeans, uh, the European Union has felt since then. And then, of course, we have the migrant crisis on top of it. But over the over the past couple of years, there's been a substantial uh, sort of United Kingdom independence movement that's grown. The UKIP party, of course, is, is has become a big deal. Nigel Farage has become a regular uh, commentator on a lot of these issues. Um, what? How did? How did it get to the point that uh, the UK is actually voting on this? Where did this referendum come from? Well, um, the political background to it is that uh, David Cameron, the Prime Minister and the head of the Conservative Party in the UK, um, was very much worried about losing support to UKIP, the UK Independence Party, head headed by Nigel Farage that you just mentioned, um, and so. Uh, and he has a, there's a substantial number of not only Conservative Party members, grassroots, but also Conservative Party members of Parliament who are very, very skeptical of the European Union. So um, he was very worried about losing votes and support to UKIP. So what he did was he said in 2013, um, he gave a speech and he said, uh, you know, we need to change the European Union into something that respects the member states' sovereignty more which dispenses with the old European Union principle of ever closer union, moving to ever closer union throughout the continent. Um, and he said that uh, if, he win, if he would win the next election, he would hold a referendum, an in-out referendum on British membership in the EU. And I think a lot of that was because he was worried that if he didn't offer that referendum, that he was going to lose considerable support to UKIP and perhaps lose the election. Now, the the obviously the um, the referendum is is now happening and, and it's coming up in just a, a week or so here and uh, I might might backfire a bit on Cameron here. But what are the what are the chief arguments that are being used right now in the UK pro and con uh, with regard to should we stay or should we go? What what are the what are the sides the the respective sides saying? You know, I think it's kind of unfortunate uh, in many ways that the issues are not being. Uh, being or the issue, let's say, is not being emphasized as much as much as it should be by both sides. Um, the uh, the pro leave side, the, the side in favor of Brexit, is saying, look, it's about our self government. It's about whether the British people have the right to govern themselves or whether they should be governed by bureaucrats in Brussels. That, to me, is the central question. Um, the Remain side is basically embarking on a fear campaign and trying to scare people about the unintended or unknown consequences of leaving the EU, um, which will be, you know, it'll be a big thing. I mean, the EU has kind of penetrated into every area of Brit British political, economic, and even social life. So it'll be a big deal. But I think, you know, the, the Remain side's emphasis on fear tactics is disappointing. Now, another thing that you hear very often uh, about what are the main issues are generally um, twofold. One is uh, protection of the city of London, which is kind of like Britain's Wall Street, protection of the city of London from overregulation by the Eurozone, since Britain is not in the Euro. Um, the other issue that's often mentioned is the issue of immigration. And this has to do with the free movement of peoples within the EU. Um, within the EU, 
every citizen of an EU member state has the right to live and work in every other EU member state. And Britain has received a lot of immigration um, from Poland and um, Hungary and other Eastern uh, EU member states and um, wants to limit that immigration. Um, so limiting immigration from other EU member states and um, protecting the city of London are the two issues you hear most about. But really, those issues are important, but really it's about the question on every um, voter's mind is, um, do the British people have the right to self-government? And does the right to self-government, um, is the right to self-government more important than the perceived benefits of Britain's being in the EU? You talk about the this, I guess, the scare tactics being used by the by the Remain side, and, and these arguments that go back and forth. From your perspective, as a person who's who's lived in Europe and who's studied the issue uh, pretty extensively, what is the practical impact of a yes vote? Is the does that mean that there is an immediate break between Britain and the EU, or does that simply begin a process by which the EU starts to? Uh, uh, unhitch itself from the continent? Uh, how does this work? What is the practical result of a yes vote? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good question. And as, as you were just saying, it would not mean an immediate break between the EU and Great Britain. There would be a long and very thorough negotiation process that would negotiate the manner and modes of the UK's disengaging from the EU. Um, I read something the other day that speculated that this negotiation process could even go on for seven years. Ooh. I would hope it wouldn't go on that long. The general uh, timeline that people expect is about two years. So it's not going to be just an immediate break. Um, and also, I think it's very important to realize that, you know, Britain's leaving the EU does not mean that Britain will cease having commercial interests and trade with the EU that Britain will cease having a lot of common interests with the EU in terms of, you know, protecting democracy and trying to fight, trying to get peace in the Middle East and so forth. Um, it's not going to mean that, that Britain becomes anti-Europe, not at all. It's just going to mean that Britain has regained its independence, its right to govern itself, its freedom from arbitrary EU regulations. And on that basis, there will be a good basis for cooperation between Britain and Germany and Britain and France and, and Britain and the EU itself. It, it occurs to me that it, it seems almost fitting that uh, Britain would be the, the country that would hold this referendum in, in the sense that Britain has always had uh, a bit of a, a separation from, the, from mainland Europe. The English Channel isn't just a physical barrier between uh, Europe and uh, or mainland Europe and in the UK, there's always been it's always sort of represented a, a bit of a uh, an intellectual a psychological thing as well, where Britain kind of kept Europe at arm's length a little bit. Um, but now that Britain is going through this referendum process, it seems that uh, from what I'm reading, anyways, this this sort of they're calling it a Brexit contagion is is starting to show itself a little bit more throughout the European Union. There's a lot more dissatisfaction. Uh, with the EU in EU member states, um, even even in Germany, uh, Angela Merkel is is really starting to feel some political heat, uh, largely as a result of the the migrant crisis. 
what is the long-term prognosis for the EU? I mean, I would assume that the EU's leadership, the, the, the folks at the top, aren't happy that the referendum is happening at all. Um, what, what does this mean? It, it would seem to me that even if the UK votes to stay, this, the fact of the referendum itself is going to have some sort of an impact for the EU going forward. That's absolutely right. And uh, exactly how the impact will turn out is uh, very, very uh, hard to predict. Um, but, you know, this, this referendum is just one of the, um, one of the instances uh, that's been going, that have been going on throughout Europe of people's more and more being dissatisfied with the EU, being tired of being, of having most of their laws and regulations originate in Brussels, made by bureaucrats that they do not elect, um, and people tired of the concrete problems that the EU has caused in the last five years. You mentioned the Eurozone crisis, which is still going on, the migrant crisis, which is a huge problem, and, and hugely because of the EU's inability to come to some sort of common policy for dealing with immigration, but yet an insistence that nations can't make their own policy. It has to be an EU policy. And their kind of anti-border attitude, their anti-border ideology, um, which is kind of in favor of, you know, letting as many people in as, as they can get in, in a certain sense. So people are really tired of the EU all around Europe. And the way that that's been manifested as I discuss in my book, is you know the destabilization of domestic politics throughout the EU. In almost every EU member state for the past two, three years, in all of the elections, the European-level elections, the national elections, the state elections, the local elections, pro-EU establishment parties that have been kind of the two top parties, let's say, in most countries um, forever, just like the Democrats and Republicans in the United States, the, the pro-EU establishment parties have been losing votes at a, an amazing rate, and um, anti-EU um, protest parties have been gaining votes and supporters in almost every country. Some of those um, parties are radical left or radical right, but not all of them. And many, many people are thinking if the Brits do vote to leave the EU, that that might have a contagion effect, kind of a domino effect. I think that will take a long, long time to play out. We'll see how long it takes, um, and we'll see whether it even happens. But the basic question, I think, in the EU is, is this European dream of ever closer union, of some sort of supranational governance above the nation-state level, um, is this dream going to survive all of the missteps and huge mistakes that the EU has made in the last years? And is it going to survive people's increasing discontent with the lack of democratic accountability? One final question, and I suppose this is the cynic uh, in me uh, that, that is coming out here. One of, the, one of the points that you, in fact, one of the chief points of your book is that the European Union is not a very democratic organization in that it is not uh, terribly accountable at all to the people that it it supposedly serves the 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 populace of of Europe. Uh, do you believe that the fact of this referendum is is going to serve as a wake up call in some sense for the for the elites who run the EU, 
or uh, are we more likely to see the, the, the power structure of the EU double down and try to work its way around this sort of thing? Um, it, it seems like I, I sent you an article uh, that indicates that there is a, even a majority uh, in the British Parliament who would consider sort of ignoring a, a yes vote to leave the EU in order to keep the, uh, Britain in the common market and keep the, uh, the sort of the labor and border policies uh, which you know, sort of, uh, sort of ironic, considering the undemocratic nature of the EU, that the the British Parliament itself might become so undemocratic and and overrule its voters. But uh, is the EU likely to see this as a, as a moment where they have to take stock of of the nature of their of their union and and perhaps reconsider, or is it is it a doubling down moment? Well, they absolutely sh- should st- take stock. There's no question about it. It's almost impossible to um, not see all of the things that are happening in the European Union that are a true condemnation of the EU's dream of supranational democracy that's not working. But the dream is very, very strong, the European dream. Um, This arose out of the ashes of World War II. We always need to remember that, I think. And out of the determination of European leaders... um, that war should never occur again in Europe between European nations. And they thought the way to overcome that was to develop these supranational institutions above the nation's state level that would keep Europe cooperating and in harmony. And this is a very powerful dream. And in my view, I, I believe that after a short retrenchment in which European or EU leaders try to say the right things about giving people more of a say and respecting national sovereignty more, after a short period of retrenchment, the EU elites will try to keep on going in the pursuit of their dream because they've been doing it for decades um, and they've been doing it over the heads of the voters for decades and they would have to completely change their modus operandi in order not to keep doing it. To the EU elites, the dream of world peace through supranational democracy is what's important and not the will of the voters. Revealing again, this is a utopian political ideology, the EU, and it's dangerous to democracy and to real human rights. Todd Heisinga is with me today. Uh, Todd is uh, our director of international outreach here at the Acton Institute, the author of The New Totalitarian Temptation, Global Governance and the Crisis of Democracy in Europe. That book uh, available at the Acton Bookshop. It's available at Amazon.com, other online retailers. Uh, interesting times we live in, Todd, and I'm glad that we have you around to uh, to help us uh, kind of work our way through all these issues. And, and of course, we'll, we'll talk again in July after the vote has been taken and uh, this whole issue has sort of settled out a little bit. We'll talk and, and get your analysis of, of what has actually happened. But in the meantime, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Mark. Well, that's our podcast for the week. Uh, thanks so much again to Todd Heisinger, our Director of International Outreach here at the Acton Institute. Uh, he took some time out of his busy schedule to come down and uh, talk with us, and uh, we appreciate it very much. Again, the book, uh, Todd's book is called The New Totalitarian Temptation, Global Governance uh, and the Crisis of Democracy in Europe. It's a fantastic book, very well-reviewed, uh, one of the best books ever written uh, on the European Union, uh, one of the reviews uh, said. So I'd encourage you to pick that up. Amazon.com is a great place to look. You can also check out the Acton Bookshop and other online retailers. 
but yeah, again, thank you very much, Todd, for coming down and joining us. And uh, thanks to you as well for listening uh, to our podcast. Uh, we love uh, having uh, all of our listeners along with us. We appreciate it very much. And we hope that uh, if you know of anybody who you think would benefit from the Acton Institute and uh, hearing our podcast or reading our blog, you'll pass along those links. The blog is at blog.acton.org. That's the Acton Institute Power Blog. Lots of news and information from an Acton perspective every day. Uh, and again, we'll be back with more editions of Radio Free Acton as the summer goes on. We hope you're having a great summer so far. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again on Radio Free Acton, the podcast of the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Good day, y'all. Thank you.